So today I wanted to ask the question, you know, we've been going through the Psalms and thinking about how we interact with God, and, and one of the questions that I think that this Psalm addresses is, what do we do in life when we've really, really, really messed things up? What do we do in life when we have just really messed things up? Not just necessarily small mistakes, but when we have blown it, just everything is, is, is a mess, and, and how do we do that? Maybe, maybe you lost it um, with your coworker. You had a little bit less self-control with your words and, and some things came out that shouldn't have come out. Maybe you went ahead and did something that you had no business doing. You knew that you shouldn't have done it. You knew you shouldn't go, have gone down this path and, and you went down that path and now you are deeply regretful of having done that. Um, we're all faced with the, the sinful attitudes actions and behaviors that, that we commit. We're, we're faced with those things, and sometimes we try to push them aside. We, we turn the music up louder. We check Twitter one more time. We, we go and, and watch another movie. We try to numb ourselves, but the reality is we cannot escape the fact that we've all, on some level, really messed up. And so what can we do? What can we do when we've really messed up? Let's stand together. We're going to read Psalm 130, and we're going to think about this question. Psalm 130. We'll read it out together. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him there is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem in Israel from all his iniquities. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you with our baggage, with our lives, and with our sin. And God, we, we in varying levels, recognize the fact that we have created many messes that we ourselves cannot fix, that we have committed many sins that we cannot undo. And God, I pray that, that as we consider your word, that we would be freshly reminded of the weight of our sin, but not so that we can go away discouraged and defeated, but that we can appreciate, receive, and celebrate the salvation that you offer in your son, Jesus Christ. God, would you, would you as the psalmist says in another place, gladden the heart of your servant would you look to us, condescend to us, comfort us, encourage us, and convict us? God, do the holy surgery that has to be done. For some of us, Lord, take us from death to life as we listen to the, your word and hear you calling out to us to live. And for others of us, Lord, take us from life to greater life, from lesser obedience to greater obedience to lesser holiness, to greater holiness. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. 
God, we invite you to change our hearts, to, to shift our desires, to move us along so that you might be glorified and we might experience the joy of our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. So as I said, the question that I want us to think about is what do we do when we've really messed up? What do we do when we've, when we've sinned? And we're going to see that the psalmist is wrestling with that question himself. How do, I, how do I handle my sin? And I think he gives us four kind of steps that we could walk through. There are different ways of framing this. The Bible talks about sin and salvation a lot. We talked about last week, one of the things we talked about was soteriology, this idea, this doctrine of salvation. And this week, we're going to come at it at a slightly different angle. And so there's four things if you're taking notes. The first thing we can do, we see in verses one and two, is we can get honest. We can get honest. The second thing we can do in verses three and four is we can remember the good news. For some of us, we need to be acquainted with the good news. And for other us, others of us, we need to reacquaint ourselves with that good news. Then the third thing we can do is to put our hope in God. And that's a two-step process, right? We're going to take our hope off of these things that will not actually save, and we're going to put our hope in God. And then finally, we're going to complete that process by telling others to do the same. Amen? So we get honest, we, get, we remember the good news, we put our hope in God, and we tell others to do the same. So let's look at verses 1 and 2 together. <clears throat> he says, Out of the depths I cried to you, O Lord, and that word Lord is Yahweh, O covenant-keeping God. Then he says, O Lord, O Master, hear my voice. Let your ear be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. The psalmist is not trying to address a mistake that he made. We live in a world where, um, especially in, in the culture around us, the idea of right and wrong is really up for grabs. And in, by and large, kind of the only thing that can be wrong is to say that something is wrong. And there's so many things that are celebrated that ought not to be celebrated, so many things that are put on a pedestal that ought not to be put on a pedestal. And, and what happens is what once was understood as, as disobedience to God is now shifting over to, well, I made a mistake. A mistake is buying crunchy when you should have bought smooth peanut butter. That's a mistake. Maybe in your household that's a sin, but in, in general, that's a mistake. A sin is doing or saying or, or, or relating to God in a way that he has said not to or not doing or saying something that God has commanded for you to do, right? Sins of commission and sins of omission. And that's what he's talking about. Oh, Lord, out of the depths I cry, hear my voice. And he's asking for what? Mercy. He's asking for help and he's asking for mercy. He doesn't just require um, to be taken out of a, a mistake situation where he's tripped and fallen and, and man, someone, if someone could just pick him up. No, he has decided to do something in disobedience to God and he is in a mess that he has made. Um, he's, he's also unable to provide the help that he needs. Now again, we, we want to we be able to, to get our problem, address it, and solve it ourselves. We want to go to, to the bookstore and, and get in the self-help section and say, okay, how do, I, how do I win my day? 
How do I live my best life? How do I, how do I manage my life? But the psalmist is saying here, I can't manage my life. I'm crying out of the depths. And that language of depths, it's, it's intended to, to give us a picture, right? He's in a pit. It's a different situation, but, but similar language. If you were to go to Psalm 69, um, the, the situation is slightly different because this man is in a pit, not because of his own, because, but because of his enemies. But he says to me, he says, save me, O Lord, from, for the waters have come up to my neck. I'm sinking in the mire where there's no foothold. I've come into the deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. And, he, and he's talking about being overwhelmed by the depth of his situation. Do you ever, do you ever feel like that? Overwhelmed? You're like you look at your life and, and you realize, uh, I don't even know what step one is. I don't even know what step one is. The reality, family, is that, that you and I, we cannot fix our sin problem. We cannot fix the, the evil and the, the brokenness and the wickedness that's in our own souls. I want you, I want you to hear that. Because there's something in your soul and my soul that wants to say, no, yes, I can. I can fix it. I can make myself better. If I would just do a little bit more, if I would just get 1% better every day, then by the end of the year, the compound interest of my life, the, the efficiency and productivity of my life, I would be able to be a better person. You might be able to be a more productive person and a more efficient person and a more type A, I've accomplished a, a lot type person, but there's, there's not an ability for us to nudge the needle of our own sinfulness. You see, in, in, in Romans, Paul talks about our situation, and, and he doesn't talk about um, us needing to improve. Uh, he, he talks about it in much more stark language. He says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know, if, if you were to look at it one way, that idea of glory, God intends for, he, if God is light, or if, if he's full of light, we are intended to be mirrors, and you know, the thing about a mirror is if you drop a mirror, there's no putting that mirror back together. There's no, there's no ability that that mirror has to kind of re, re, reform itself. It is broken and useless and needs to be swept up and thrown away. That's the situation that we find ourselves in. And Paul goes on in, in Romans 6.23 and he says this, the wages of our sin, the cost, the payment for our sin is death. Right? That's, that's a stark situation. This is not a mistake-type situation, and this is not the kind of thing that you can say, well, you know, I can pay that debt. Right? This, is, this is like buying a mortgage in Northern Virginia to the nth power. Like, you're never going to pay that debt. <laughs> like, you already feel that way right now, and there's a real number. It's not infinity. But with God, our debt in, incurs in an infinite debt. Or our, our sin incurs an infinite debt. And not only that, in Ephesians, Paul, Paul frames it differently. He says in Ephesians chapter 2, something that we, we've, I used to quote quite, quite a bit. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. He wasn't just saying, you know what, there's some really bad people. And they, they are following the prince of the power of the world, the, the, the enemy. Those guys, they're, they're, no, he said, you and I, our situation is that we are dead to God. Now, we're not dead, right, in this room, 
But as it relates to how we relate to God, it's as though we were dead. When God says, do this, we hear nothing. When God says, go here, we do nothing. When God says, look at this and appreciate it for the beauty of it, we do nothing because we're dead toward God. We can't fix our own sin. How many, how many dead people do you know who can read self-help books and, and fix the situation of how to be less dead? That, that book doesn't exist because dead people don't read books. We can't fix our own problems. And, and the first step when you've, when you've messed everything up is to be honest about the fact that you can't fix it. Again, I'm not, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm in the same place. Ask my wife. I, I, I need God deeply. Ask my kids. I haven't arrived. I haven't, I haven't come to a place of, oh, now I can fix my problems. I don't need God to address my sin. The gospel was for that one time. No, we all need the gospel because we cannot fix it. So if you and I can't fix our problem, who, who can? He goes on in verses 3 and 4 and he says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities. In other words, if you, O Lord, had a clipboard and you were keeping track, who could stand? Right? If we were in a room and God said, okay, I want everyone who has not sinned to stand up. One guy would stand up and God would say, you're a liar, sit down. We, we can't. We're all in this same place. As I said before, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Paul tells us. And, and lest anyone think that we're talking about calamity, you know, uh, he's asking for mercy because he's in a bad situation that other people have put him, on, put him in. Um, he, he mentions specifically iniquity. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities. What is that word? It is not a word that we use often. We don't often, you know, son, please stop uh, iniquitying. I mean, I don't think there's a verbal form of that, um, committing iniquities. The word speaks of, of our disobedience to, to God, our sin, but not just of, okay, here's the, here's the rule and you've, you've transgressed the rule. You see, the problem with sin is, is not just that we've transgressed, not just that we've done things. The, the problem is that in, in a sense, we are not good because the sin that we have has twisted us. And I, want to, I wish I could say that with a hug. Because, you know, I don't want you to think like, Pastor Eddie, you know, you're just being mean and you, you, you think that I'm not good. I'm also not good. Our souls are twisted. Whereas a, a, a heart that is, is, is holy and, and whole would, would see creation and worship God. Because of our iniquity, our sin, we see creation and we worship things in creation. When we see God, and, and if, if we had two hearts that were aligned with God, these two individuals could get married and, and experience the joy of, of holy matrimony. But in our world, we have people who are doing other things outside of marriage that they ought not to do, that ought to be left to a marriage between a man and woman. We, we're twisted in who we are, and, and lest you think that, okay, yeah, I'm not on that list, uh, those of us who, who think that we're, we're right, we, we have tendencies to lie or, or bend the truth or, or find out how can I shift the blame. None of us escape from this. 
Because iniquity has something to do with who we are. And I want to be careful here because if you're, if you're, if you're in Christ, you have a new identity. But, but before we put our faith in Christ, we're all sons and daughters of Adam. And because of that, there's, there's this twistedness in our soul. So, we have desires that aren't pure any longer. We have intentions that aren't completely righteous anymore. We have thoughts that aren't all true and right and honorable. We have actions that are not free of unrighteousness. We are twisted. I've used the analogy before, but, but if I had a cup of water and I had a vial of arsenic and I just did a drop of arsenic, would any be, anyone being willing to drink that? Would, would there be any sort of portion of the water that you would be willing to, to sip from? No, because the whole cup is now tainted with poison. That's the situation that you and I find ourselves in. There's no part of my life that I can say, well, you know, I know I sin in this area, but in this area, I'm good to go. It's, it's, it's within us. It's through us. It's all through us. It twists us up. And the psalmist is saying that if God would keep track of this, who could stand? And, and the answer of, to that rhetorical question is no one. No one could stand. In the first part of Isaiah, chapter 53, Isaiah is this prophet of the Old Testament, and and he's speaking. It's sometimes called the gospel of the Old Testament or something like that because there's so much gospel-focused stuff, and it's really encouraging. Um, But in in Isaiah 53, verse 6, he says this, All we, like all of us, like sheep have gone astray. We've all wandered off like sheep. We've turned everyone to his own way. And, and we have wandered from God. The, the psalmist's situation is dire. And, and if we're honest, your situation and my situation apart from God is dire. But what does he say next? Right? We talked about remembering the good news. What does he say next? But with you, there's what? There's forgiveness. Say it with me, family. Forgiveness. Come on, like you mean it. Forgiveness. Like you need it. Forgiveness. With you, there is hope. There's forgiveness. With God, there's forgiveness for our iniquity, for our sins. What does it mean that God uh, has forgiveness? It's, it means that he's able to look at your record of sin, right? If, if this was school, it would be all the F's that I have acquired for my sinful behavior and treat me like I'm a straight-A student. Can you imagine that? Some of you are teachers and you're like, yeah, I can't imagine that and that would not fly. But, but it's, it's when God looks at us in our brokenness, in our sin, in our rebellion, and in that moment, he says, you know what, I'm going to treat you like you're my son. But how does God extend forgiveness to you and me when we've messed up? How does he do that? That's, he can't just do that. Are, you, are we on the same page that, that God cannot treat what is unjust and unrighteous and unholy as though it was righteous and holy? He can't just do that. Right? We might want him to do that in our own lives. God, would you just cut me a break? Would you just give me some, would you cut me some slack, give me a break? We want him to do that. But when it comes to people who harm us, we don't want him to do that. When, when it comes to people who harm those whom we love, we don't want, we want justice. We want righteousness. And God is a, a just and a righteous God. So how does a just and righteous God treat us not in the way that we deserve? Let's look, at, let's look at Isaiah 
53, 6 again. He says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, talking about this servant that Isaiah was mentioning, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There's that word again. God is able to look at your record, your sin, and treat you as though you've never sinned and you're righteous. Not because he just sweeps it under the rug, but because he took the punishment that you and I deserved and he put it on his son. In Romans it says, not sorry, Romans, in 2 Corinthians verse chapter 5, Paul puts it this way. In verse 21, for our sake, for your sake and my sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, what he's saying is, is God treated Jesus like a horrible, terrible, wicked criminal. Think of the worst possible things that you can imagine, the worst possible heinous crimes against humanity you can imagine. That's how Jesus was treated so that he could look at you and say, man, I love you, son. Goodness, I love you, daughter. I love you. This is the good news for us. Jesus, the Son of God, lived a life of obedience that you and I should have lived. He died on the cross in our place for our sins, and he rose again from the dead so that anyone who trusts in him may be saved. And you might be saying, well, this is an Old Testament passage, but the Old Testament believers knew that there would be a Savior, and they were trusting God and trusting that God would provide a Savior. So even as they did not know of the promise that was to come, they knew of the God who made the promise, and they trusted that God. And they were saved. When we sin big or small, but especially big, we can get honest and we can remember that God has made provision for your sin through his son, Jesus Christ. But he says something interesting after that. He says, he says but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. That seems like a weird thing to say. Why would God save us so that we would be fearful of him? But the fear that the psalmist is talking about has to do with more than just kind of terror. This is, not a, this is not frightening. This is not like God jumping out and saying, boo! And we're like, ah! That's not the fear he's talking about. There's a kind of fear that respects the power and authority and strength that God has. And, and before salvation, one of the things that our sin embodies is a, a disobedience and a dishonoring of the power and strength and, and sovereignty of God. It's this defiant attitude towards God that says, I don't fear you, I'm not afraid of you because I'm God. Have you ever thought about that? Why do you get angry when you get cut off in traffic? Because that should not happen to me. Doesn't he know who I am? I say that as a person who's been there. You're in line. I was in line at the grocery store one day and someone, I'm just keep it real general, someone just decided, I'm going to go ahead and get in front. And I was like, no, you're not. <laughs> and I got in front. And my kids were there. And I'm checking out, and I'm victorious, and on, you know, no one's going to cut me. I'm gonna... And I was like, I'm a bad Christian. <laughs> but in that moment, I was thinking to myself, no one's going to break up Eddie's kingdom here at the grocery store. I belong in this position of first in line. Don't you know that? Don't you know that? And that's funny and silly and pray for me. 
I don't know. Um, but, but that expressed a defiance in my heart. And, and so he forgives us so that we can become tender and, and receiving of, of his righteousness, of his holiness, of his sovereignty, so that we can begin to say, you know what? I, I'm not in charge. I'm, I'm not in charge. When we deal with our sin, we need to get honest and we need to remember the good news. And part of remembering the good news is, is putting our hope in God. In verses uh, 5 and 6, he says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his, in his word I hope. More than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. The psalmist goes from crying out from the depths for God's mercy to waiting patiently and eagerly for God. There's a shift happening in his heart. And you, again, you know this if you're a parent. If you saw your kid going from, I need help, to just kind of quietly eating their, their noodles and, and just like happily, like, yes, ma'am. You're like, what's going on right now? Like, what, what came over you? But he's beginning to taste and remember the salvation of God. You know that, you know that patient people are humble people? Have you ever met a humble person who was also impatient? No. Because the heart of impatience is a focus on yourself. My time, my schedule, my agenda, my kingdom, my ways. I mean, it, it may be wrapped up in anxiety and, hey, I need to get in, in gotta, gotta go to this place and do this thing, but, but low below that is this idea, I'm in charge, my agenda more, matters more than whatever's happening around here. And here we see, because he's humbled himself, he's beginning to slow down and say, you know what, I'm gonna wait for the Lord. I don't know what his plan is, I don't know what his purpose is in this situation, I don't know the way out, I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, but I know that my God is good, and I know that I am not God. It's interesting, just to point it out, in, in a couple of these verses, in verses uh, 3 and then verses uh, four and, or 5 and 6, he goes from talking about Yahweh to talking about uh, Adonai. And I talked about that last week, that they're both said as Lord in English Bibles, but one is, is highlighting the fact that God is our covenant God. He saves us. He's committed. He, there's loving kindness. And the other one fa- focuses on the fact that he's Lord. He's boss. He's king. He's in charge. And, he, and here he says, I wait for Yahweh. My soul waits in him or waits for him. Then he says, my soul waits for what? The Lord, Adonai, my master. He has humbled himself. He said, you know what? Who's not the master of the universe? Me. I'm not He-Man. I'm not the master. God is. And then he says, in his word, I hope. When you're, when you're tempted to sin, when you're tempted to blow up, when you're tempted to, to go down that path that you know you're not supposed to, when you're tempted to do that thing or look at that thing or, or act on that thing that you're not supposed to, what do you put your hope in? Usually we're putting our hope in that thing that we're pursuing. You know, for me, I was putting my hope in myself. You know, I'm going to get in line. This is not hard. I can do this. I, I was disregarding the rules and laws of God, and I was saying, you know what? My impatience and my unwillingness to, to wait in this line is more important than me being kind and gracious and, and reflecting something of the nature and character of Christ here at this grocery store. I was putting my trust in myself. What do you put in your... Where do you put your trust or your hope when, you've, when you're about to sin or when you do sin? Do you put it in your own ability to fix things? Like, you know, I, uh, I know I've made a mess, but okay, here's what I can do. I can, I can bend this truth and I can, I can 
shore up this thing and I can, I can kind of shift the blame a little bit. And, and we begin to kind of try and triage our, our mistakes. Do, do we trust in our other great qualities? Like, oh man, I have a really bad temper and I freaked out, but uh, I'm also very effective at my job and, and hopefully they'll see that, that I produce a lot. And even though I, I'm a little brash and unkind that, that I produce and, I, and, I, and I, our bottom line is in the black because of me, I know that I've sinned in this way, but at least I'm good in other areas of my life. At least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. And if someone came to mind when I said that, please pray for that person, because clearly there's something there. <laughs> Do you hope in your own redefinition of sin? It's, it's not that big deal, big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal, Pastor. I mean, ultimately, like, aren't we all sinners, and, and isn't every sin the same? Doesn't it all... We, we downplay our sin. It's, it's, it was only a mistake. The psalmist was putting his hope squarely in the word of God and the promises of Yahweh. Promise to save, promise to forgive, promise to uphold. And we can also trust God's promises. Right, John 3.16, you, you know it well, you might have it on a mug. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, I like the King James, it says, whosoever would come to him. He'll give eternal life. Right? If you will trust in Jesus, I promise that you will have eternal life. That is a promise that God has made. That is a lock that he's put on his actions. He will not break that lock. If you trust in him, he will give you life. That is a guarantee. 1 John chapter 3. This is probably one you don't have memorized, but you should. I should have memorized. Chapter 3, verse uh, 19. It says this, uh, nope, that's not right. Well, if we sin, he is faithful and just to forgive is the text. It's in First John 1, 9. Thank you, guys. First John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. If he started something in you, it's not gonna be one of those situations where he doesn't get fully funded and he quits the project. He's, he's gonna finish what he starts. These are the promises that we can hope in. These are the things that we can, we can trust in. Side note, uh, if, you're, if you're thinking to yourself, as, as we're coming to a close, if you're thinking to yourself, okay, well, I've heard about salvation, I've heard about God fixing our problems, but usually it talks about repentance. Like, where is that? I mean, I mentioned that at the top of the, the sermon, you know, hey, we're going to talk about repentance. Like, where, there's no mention of repentance in here. Um, the psalmist doesn't specifically mean it, mention it. Does that mean that we don't need to repent? Like we just, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. God, would you save me? And then he's like, sure. And the answer is no. No, we, we see in the attitude of the psalmist a behavior of repentance. Or we see in the psalmist an attitude of repentance and, and behavior. Right? He's, he's crying out to God for mercy. You don't do that. You're not as honest as he is unless you're willing to say, you know, I've done wrong and I want to live and do differently. 
He turns from his iniquity to God. The prayer itself is a turning away from sin to God. He's stopped pretending he's not a sinner. Right? He's, he's stopped saying, you know what, God, can you help me in the situation that uh, has happened? Um, yeah. Uh, the, my wife used to work at a, at a gym, and sometimes the kids would make a mess, and, and they would say, there's a mess on the mat. And you'd be like, there's more to this story than there being a mess on the mat. We cleaned the mat, and now the mat is not clean, and you were standing over it, and you too are messy. Right? He hasn't said, there's a mess in my life, God. No, he's saying, help me. My iniquity, if you were to count it, I couldn't stand. He has repented. He stopped making excuses. When, when you and I get, get honest about our sin, um, really take God's promise of forgiveness seriously and really put our hope in him, we have to repent. It's, it's just, it's not too coins, it's two sides of the same coin. It's not two steps, it's two sides of the same coin. And when we put our hope in God, we can encourage others to do the same. So he finishes off and he says, O Israel, hope in God, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, with him there is plentiful redemption, and, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. God's forgiveness should not terminate with us. You know, beauty is, is intended to be uh, appreciated. Imagine for a moment that I went after service, you know, dropped my kids off at home or my family off at home and, and then I went to Harris Teeter because they've got great flowers and, and I went and bought some flowers for my wife because I'm a great husband, right? Whatever. Um, and, I, and I made sure that I, I got a beautiful vase to showcase these beautiful flowers and I put the vase and those flowers in the unfinished storage uh, of our basement with the light off. Does that sound like a sensible idea? No. You buy flowers. Men, we buy flowers to get credit. No. We buy flowers <laughs> to love our wives and to get credit. <laughs> we love them, but we want them to know that we love them, and we want to know that they know that we love them. Right? Those flowers are meant to be appreciated. The same is true of God's salvation. God doesn't just save you so that you can just stand in the dark and be like, yay for me. No, he's light. We're mirrors. He's remaking us. We're meant, to be be we're meant to be mirrors that reflect that light so people can look at our lives and say, man, there must be an awesome God. When we experience the beauty of redemption, God intends for us to put that beauty on display. It's one of the reasons that the apostles and the early, early disciples used the language of witnessing they were witnesses. They had seen it. Let me tell you what I've seen, right? A witness isn't someone that sees something and then just does nothing about it. And I'm not sure what you call that. I guess a bystander, but, um, but it's not a witness. So here the psalmist highlights the beauty of Yahweh's salvation. He says, with God, there's steadfast love. There's loving kindness. There's everlasting, unconditional, I choose you type of love. That's good. Family, God, if you, if you trust Jesus, God loves you. Not just us, not just people. He loves you with an unconditional, I choose you, loving kindness kind of love. And he says that there's plentiful redemption. 
Right? If, if the cup of God's redemption was right here, it would be overflowing. There'd be extra. You wouldn't run out. You, might, you wouldn't look at your life and, and sprinkle it on your life like, like your life is a plant and you've got to water it and say, oh man, I ran out. I need redemption in this area. All I got was redemption in that area. No, it just keeps flowing. God has redemption that overflows. There's a completeness to his redemption. He doesn't just deal with some of our sins. He doesn't just give us a, a partial pardon. He deals with all of our iniquities. He, promised to sa- he promises to save you eternally, lovingly, abundantly, and completely. For those who trust in Jesus, God promises a beautiful salvation. And this salvation deserves to be put on display. There are people in your life who need to hear about how God has impacted you. You know, sometimes we talk about evangelism. We're like, I'm not that guy, you know. I'm not Billy Graham. I'm not any Graham, except the Graham cracker. I like Graham crackers. And, and we, we say, I don't know how to, how to share my faith or share the gospel. You know what you can do? You can say, hey, I went to church and I was, in, I was encouraged because I had this going on with my life. And I remember that, you know what, my God, he saved me. And people can be like, what do you mean by that? I'm like, well, you know, I, I went from this situation and, and my life was really messed up. And, 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 but I, I found out that, that God wants me. That he sent, sent Jesus to, to deal with my problems and my sin, my disobedience. And he, he gave me new life in Jesus Christ. And maybe you don't use all some of that super churchy language. And I don't know if that would work at SAIC or whatever. But... But you can tell people your story if you're willing to get honest, right? Who can you pray for today? Who in your life needs to hear about God's salvation? So what do we do, what do, we do when we've messed up? What do we do when we've sinned? We, we get honest. We remember God's good news. It's good news, family. It starts off with bad news. You have to deal with the bad news. But it moves to good news very quickly. We put our hope back in God, and we encourage others to do the same. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you offer life, that you offer love, that you offer plentiful redemption. And there are those who are in this room, Lord, who are wrestling with the sin that so easily entangles them. And God, I pray that for those that you would grant them to experience your love, to turn away from their sin, to trust in you. If you're in this room and you, you need to trust in Jesus, this is, this is a moment for you to do so. You want to trust in Jesus. Would you just put your hand up? It, it's not, it, that's wonderful. I see that hand. There's nothing magical about raising your hand, but it's a way of expressing what's happening in your heart. God, you're saying, I'm willing to say with my body what's happening in my heart, that God, I, I wanna stop trusting in myself. I wanna stop putting my hope in things that I, that I try to fix. And I want you, I trust you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me of my sins. Please help me to live a life where I'm a mirror and you're the light. If that's you, we'd love to talk to you afterwards. And there are others of you who've been walking with the Lord for a while, but, but you still find yourself entangled, maybe discouraged, like you should know better. That's, that's the record that's been playing in your mind. That's the, that's 
what's been playing over and over. I should know better. I should be farther. I should have done more. Can I just encourage you that there's grace for today? There's grace for you today to turn back to God, to remember that he's not, he's not standing there with a clipboard saying, man, you, you really should be further along. But he's saying, come to me. Would you, would you draw close to him? Take your sin to him. Take your heart to him. And receive the salvation and the love that he has for you. Heavenly Father, minister your love to our people. Minister your love to your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you, family.